Hello and welcome back to the Everything Must Go podcast. I am Steven and with me all, as always, <laughs> tripping over my words, <laughs> start off the episode. You'd think doing it as many times <laughs> as we have, this wouldn't happen. But, but uh... nope, nope, you'd be completely <laughs> wrong because it happens pretty regularly actually with me. But that's why we got Brandon J. flipping over here uh, as the co-host of the show because he's much needed. Uh, Brandon... We got a guest here today, yep. so it's not just me tripping over my words, and it's not just Brandon correcting me. Why don't you introduce our guest today? Our inch, our uh, now I'm tripping over. <laughs> Maybe we need Dude, to get it's, totally it's new co-hosts. <laughs> I'm out. <of> <laughs> All right, see ya. Um, we have a very special <laughs> guest, is what I was trying to say before I tripped over it. Uh, this is a good friend of mine from Twitch. Um, I'll give a, a, a nice little introduction here. He is a Twitch streamer, goes by I Am Ghost Owl. He's an LA-based streamer who currently focuses, focuses on the game Hunt Showdown. Additionally, he is an experienced and industry award-winning user experience and user interface designer with a passion for design. Last but certainly not least, he is a husband and a father who balances family time with streaming. Ghost Owl, how are you doing today? Uh, good. You know, it's... Uh... Husband and father always ring really true when you have like a toddler that's teething. That yeah. Is like wildly screaming in the background occasionally because he's just been like, everything sucks. I don't know why or how to explain it. And well, so, uh, yeah, that's my, my day today. Heck yeah. Well, if our audience hears any screaming in the background, that's what it's from, I guess. The, yeah. The... Assume that it's a toddler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no torture going on in the background. It's just teething. No, 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 no. Right. <laughs> Perfect. You want to tease what our, we're going to talk about today? Sure. Let's. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the artistic and creative background of said ghost owl. By the way, owls are my favorite animal, so just throwing oh. that out there. Love it. <laughs> Something that's worth noting. Um, uh-huh. Then we're going to talk about the skills developed with professions or even secondary pursuits and how they may play into one another. And then we're going to talk about pursuing something, which is something we've talked about for a while, while you're also on this content creation journey and trying to balance those priorities with one another. And then lastly, at the end of every show, we've got the very famous, world famous movie critics must go. Everybody's been raving about it. Um, It's got just incredible reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, which is ironic because that's what we utilize for the show uh people are loving it um gotten a lot of fan mail especially Many, from the philippines. philippines the philippines love movie critics must go huge hit in the philippines mm-hmm. we always check our demographics for specific portions of the show and when it comes to that ending portion philippines are just all about it so thank you guys so much our philippine fans and shout out to josh for last week for uh now at the time of this recording the episode hasn't even come out yet but he he was he was pretty good. Yeah, so he he's got great. a lot to live up to. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. big shoes to fill here, Ghost Owl. Well, shout out to the to Filipino uh, podcast subscribers and uh, <laughs> YouTube watchers. Then <laughs> you know, just get them on my team early, I guess. Uh, of course, <laughs> for when I bomb the movie portion at the end. <laughs> All right, well let's well let's get this kicked off here. Um, I I've really wanted you on the show. Uh, we we've streamed quite a bit together. Uh, played offline even, and uh, you've become one of my closest friends that I've met through uh, this the streaming stuff. And um, 
I'm always fascinated by your story. I, I give I give Ghost Owl a lot of crap while we're online. It's a little bit that we have because um, he's got some fascinating uh, portions of his life, and uh, I like to poke a little fun at him. But I do want for our audience you to give a little timeline on your journey, and uh, you know what notable steps, creatively speaking, that might have led you to where you are today. Oh man, it's I could go back kind of a long way to really unpack that question um because honestly uh i don't don't know where y'all grew up but i grew up in a really small town in the state of massachusetts it was like a town of ten thousand people my high school had like 160 people in its graduating class Hmm. um no 106 people in its graduating class and like three or four hundred people total so it was not a very big town and it wasn't really close to any major cities maybe kind of close to providence but nobody really went there so I didn't really have a lot of kind of broad perspective on culture and the way that I think people can access now when I was 17, because this is uh, two decades ago at this point, because uh, like you always like to point out on stream, I'm really old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you know, I, I, I think it goes, if I go all the way back to high school, you know, I, um, I was going to a lot of punk shows. I met a lot of really cool people there because I was always looking for some kind of way to join some other kind of form of culture than the one I had. And like punk shows that are in like VFW halls or Portuguese American halls were kind of the place where I found that kind of community. Mm-hmm. And that was probably where I started to design like t-shirts and stuff like that for uh, bands, uh, things like that. Um, you know, skip ahead, I guess, to uh, undergrad. Um, I managed to convince my parents to let me major in art and Asian history, which I don't know how I pulled that one off, but I somehow did. Because uh, those are two really, really not useful degrees, I think, that I can say in hindsight to have. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, one of which afforded me the opportunity to go and live in Japan uh, and study art at a Japanese-speaking university, uh, which you like to talk about a lot um, <laughs> from the perspective of ribbing me uh, yeah. pretty ruthlessly about. Um, <laughs> and... Um, but, you know, when you even even with that experience, you know, going to a state school in Massachusetts, you come out, it's 2007 and the housing market had crashed. So there weren't any good jobs. I got like a, the first job I could, which was literally selling other people's artwork to like dentist offices and stuff, um, driving around like to military bases and hotels and shit and selling artwork to people it was the only job I could get. So I decided that I needed to make a change and be more competitive if I really wanted to get into design, which I was really passionate about at the time. Uh, and so I decided to go to graduate school and I, a guy that I had been in a band with, uh, for many years had done the same thing. And he was attending a school called the Pratt Institute, which is a, um, you know, accredited uh, art school in Brooklyn, um, pretty well known for people that are from that part of the country. And I got in and studied, uh, communications design or graphic design there. And I lived in New York for the next 10 years. Um, and I feel like that's kind of like an early like a really kind of quick summary of like a long period of my life, I guess. So I don't know if there's like other pieces of that to kind of dive into, but I think like living in New York probably had the most profound effect on me because, you know, where I was from in a really small town and, you know, I had that experience living in Japan and being connected to people that were so different from me, culturally speaking. Then you move to New York and it's just this huge melting pot with people all over the country and people that are native New Yorkers, people that are from other countries that emigrated from somewhere else to New York. And so, it's just a really kind of interesting experience that I think had the biggest effect on me and like my outlook and whatnot. But, um, that was where I was really focusing my career on graphic design and communications design, where I started doing user experience design. Um, and 
yeah, I'm trying to figure out if there's another a better way to summarize a lot of that information for you. Well, um, I, I, yeah, please a, jump in. <laughs> a couple things. Number one, just for our audience, what he referred to me ripping on him. Um, I I've always <laughs> been just fascinated when when he's told me some of these pieces that you guys are now learning. Um, I've always been fascinated about his life because these are just unique experiences. It's not, not everybody that I've met has studied abroad in Japan and then ended up in New York and this melting, but like I, I am very uh, intrigued by your story. Um, but I kind of, <laughs> part of me just being a te- like teasing people is, Oh, you you lived in Japan. Oh, so cool. You know, just like <laughs> pretending that he's really pretentious about it, but he, not at all. Um, but yeah. I, with your background, I guess one of the things that, um, you know, Steven is, he loves to be on camera and sort of the, the performative aspect. And you, you know, I, I know that you did, um, you were in a band and you have music on Spotify and stuff, which we can yeah. end up linking as well. Um, but what brought you to like streaming, like this on camera live to a certain extent, performative aspect of content creation. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know how we'll get back into this later, but I think a lot of things ended up um, kind of being skills that I learned through my jobs that helped me maybe be potentially a little bit better at streaming out of the gate. I mean, whatever that means, right? But mm-hmm. um, I think I discovered streaming uh, on Twitch, not that I was streaming myself, but I was watching a lot of people streaming in 2015 um, when it was a relatively new platform. And I was watching this one particular Destiny streamer because that was like my main jam. You know, I played Destiny on console through to PC and right up until my son was born in 2020, I was pretty much only playing Destiny and like a smattering of other games. And uh, I'd always wanted to try to do it because it seemed like fun. You know, the performative aspect, like you said, from being in bands, I really missed. and. I hadn't really been in a band in a long period of time by that point. I think the last band I was in, uh, I left in 2009. And Mm -hmm. so I missed being able to kind of have that opportunity to kind of connect with people in the form of like an audience and a performer. And that was the, the first chance that I saw to do it. But I had this job that was so insane on your time because I worked in what's called like the agency world. Um, kind of like picture contemporary version of Mad Men, um, you know, to like with how kind of high stakes and dramatic it feels anyway to work in that industry. And you're working late nights and weekends. And I never found an ability to make it consistent. I think I streamed once at some point between 2015 and 2020, uh, maybe twice, I don't know, um, before I was able to make it somewhat consistent. But I've always wanted to do it. And it just go figure now that the only time I've been able to carve out where I can do it consistently is when I you know, married and have a son (laughs) whole time job during the day. I managed to make the schedule work somehow, but that's kind of why it drew me to it. So when it came to going from a band, which is something where it's very collaborative, where you've got a lot of people that you're, you're working with and then making the adjustment to doing something like streaming, which there is collaboration. Sometimes obviously you guys have streamed together, but yeah. was it a weird adjustment to all of a sudden go from being just one part of the whole to now when someone goes to your your uh, channel that everyone is like all eyes on you? 
Yeah, well, I had the benefit of doing a lot of kind of, I, I played at a lot of coffee houses when I was in college by myself. And by a lot, I mean just like the two that were in the town that I went to college at. But I played at those, I played at them, I played at them a lot, I should say, usually yeah. like on a weekly or semi-monthly basis. And so being up and by myself and playing a, a short set was not really um, that scary of a concept to me at the time. I think I was even more intimidated because when you come to streaming, it's like a different form of performance. And for a lot of the time, you know, like it is highly collaborative, but like finding the people that you vibe with the best is such a hard thing to do. And I've, I've started to kind of figure out who I vibe with the best and what I like about it. But I don't mind having to stream by myself. And I'm trying to return to that because most of my early time streaming was just me streaming by myself, typically with um, just me in the audience. And um, sometimes I got nervous if there was, uh, for a while, like I think everybody that starts out when there would be nobody there would be no audience. Because <laughs> even when I would play in a coffee shop, there would be at least be like three or four people, that, you know? Yeah. Um, and you stream the first few months and you're getting like less than, you know, four people, uh, two people, something like that, you know? And uh, it felt, that felt more weird because then even when you're performing on stage in any capacity, or when I would teach, because I was also a visiting assistant professor uh, at an art school for a while too. Like you're bouncing off of the people in the room to kind of make that work. And I feel like that's really hard when you start out streaming too, when you're alone and you don't have anybody to work off of but yourself. Well, which community do you find more welcoming? Was it easier to get along with your bandmates and the whole music scene? Or do you find that the, the Twitch community is more receptive and easier to collaborate with? Well, that's difficult to say. I mean, you know, I was in bands for many, for like from the age of roughly like 14 until I was 24 for like, oh, like steadily in, in and out of bands for like 10 years. And it kind of depended, you know, like I was in bands with people where we were great and I had a great time collaborating with them and we really got it. But then maybe like one person would leave because they didn't like the vibe of the music or they maybe got busy with something else. Um, another band that I was in, I was like writing music for, I wrote three songs, which ended up being in the EP you mentioned, Brandon. And it was like, um, they kicked me out because they're like, oh, we don't like these songs and we're going to get somebody else to write music for us instead. Hmm. Um, and I was like, bummer. And so then I just decided to, that was the last band I was in too. Um, versus like collaborating with people on Twitch has been interesting because I don't know how to describe it really. It's a very different process for me. It's more akin to like the networking I would do um, in or at least how I view networking in terms of how I do my job too, um, in terms of like finding the people to first stream with and network with and then collaborating with them. Like that should be the easy part, hopefully, if you've done your enough work up front to find the right people to collaborate with. Um, that's, I mean, I guess so anyway. <laughs> what What's your, I don't know if it, asking for advice on this, but what's, what's your perspective on approaching that networking? Cause something that you and I have talked about is, I don't know if it's an imposter syndrome, but it's like this comfortability of, Oh, you know, these other streamers probably got a bunch of people asking them to play, or how do I get my foot in the door of, Hey, can we, you want to try this out? What, what's, what's your approach? What's your perspective on, um, getting into that? Well, if I look at it in the perspective of how I view networking with my job, like every job that I've gotten came through, at least from a certain point, right? Like every job that I've gotten has been because it was somebody that knew me in real life or knew me as a person and trusted me enough to not screw up whatever opportunity they were going to try to connect me to. So there was like a genuine interpersonal relationship first, I think. 
that was formed. Um, and even if it wasn't like a super deep one, it was still uh, like an interpersonal relationship. Like the job I have now was from a guy that I used to work with. Uh, he stopped working there. We started playing Dungeons and Dragons together. Um, he knew I moved out here. And then he was like, oh, one of my old friends moves out there. Why don't you talk to them? And, you know, like, there you go. Like, that's, excuse me, how networking has often worked um, for things like this. And so when I look at networking for something like Twitch, it's like somebody that I really have to feel comfortable with to both like be vulnerable on stream with, because there's times where like maybe you have a bad run of matches. And even if you're not trying to worry so much about the competitive side of a game like Hunt, you still want to make sure that you're making good content and you can, it feels kind of hard if you just feel like you're getting domed, you know, every time <laughs> you get into a fight. Uh, so you feeling somebody like that, you can know is going to be there to help kind of build you up and support you while you're streaming together that you're all trying to make each other look good. Yeah. It's really hard to figure that out at, out of the gate, you know? But, and so I think that's where I try to focus my energy is like, I'll, like anytime somebody asks me to play now, which doesn't happen super often, um, you know, if I don't already know them, I'll be like, yeah, do you stream? Cool. Like, let me know. I'll follow you. And then I'll like hit you up or something. Cause I want to watch their stream and get what their vibe is like. You know, I don't want to like stream. I just won't do it with everybody because I think I did that up front when I switched to Hunt and it was kind of a weird experience every now and then, you know, like you stream with the person where you're like, oh, we we wouldn't probably hang out in real life either, would we? <laughs> God thing. Yeah. That's okay. Like, you don't have to, but it's just like still something that's uh, good to know about the people that you're playing with is like, oh, do we actually have fun together? Can we actually have fun together? Or is it just going to be, you know, you are streaming by yourself and I happen to be there, you know, that's not like kind of what I'm after, I guess. Yeah, that's got to be kind of I, I would think that the tough part of doing streams with someone is because I've done some Instagram live streams with people that I don't really know. And I always get nervous whenever I go into those because you don't really know some of these people very well at all. And in, in just watching their content, you might think, ah, oh, they seem OK. And then you just don't gel with them. But I feel like it's even an, an added layer because I've never collaborated with someone. I've Twitch streamed myself a few times. Um, or I've, I've done like live streams playing video games like a handful of times. So I, I understand kind of what it's like, but the idea of collaborating with this person and not knowing all of these things, like I, in my stream, I come across like kind of goofy and maybe I say I'm competitive every once in a while, but I feel like until you actually see me in the act, like playing Monopoly, you see me, I get pretty pissed off when I'm losing. When we play <laughs> Super Smash, I get pretty pissed off. So I don't know. Yeah. You play with the wrong person, and you just don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. Like, do you yeah. guys get pretty nervous about that? There, there's a risk factor for sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, you feel the same way. Well, there's like nothing makes me more nervous. Like there was one night where we were, I was streaming with somebody that we both know. And our third couldn't make it or something like that. They're like, oh, somebody from my community is going to join. And I am like immediately placing all of my trust in that other person. Be like, this person's going to be cool. And like, we didn't really get along super well, you know, and we didn't like gel super well because I don't really think everyone has the same perspective on like this being kind of performative in nature. Right. And so like, it just like didn't, it wasn't like my favorite, you know, and like, it, yeah. So I get super freaked out when I don't know the person. Like I... Everybody that I've tried to network with, like you were one of the best examples of that because I daily hunt clips, who is like a shout out for for him, you know. I don't, I've and I've told him that I think he's very important to the hunt community for what he, the content he used to make, and you know, I think he should do more of it when he figures it out. 
Mm. But that's how I found you, you know, like was through his stuff. And I could I could watch your clip. And I think you were underneath a house at like Lock Bay Docks, which is one of the spots in the Hunt Showdown map that you can fight in. And you were like, hold on, I'm on fire. And you were like voiping to enemy people as they're shooting at you. Like everybody, hold on, stop shooting at me. I'm on fire. Let me put myself out first. And then you can, as soon as you put yourself out, I think they just killed you immediately. Yeah. And I, just, I loved that moment because I was just like this, I, I like that this person is trying to have more fun and like, because I don't feel like I've ever been somebody that's going to be like, oh man, I'm going to make the most cracked plays that you'll ever see in your life. Like I have to make moments like this and hopefully I can learn from this guy, like how he's able to do that seemingly like, and I've discovered pretty effortlessly too, um, when we, when we stream together. And so I, like, I feel like I have to do so much work to make sure that I don't have the anxiety going into who I'm streaming with, you know, like this is going to be fun. It's not going to be something that I have to like, make sure like, is everybody having a good time? Like, I don't have to make sure I'm being like a weird party host or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, hearing you talk about, even your background a little bit more, it makes sense to me. There's the layer of why I think we work together, uh, you know, just based on personality. Like I think our personalities mesh, you know, I, mm. I like who you are as a person. I think we have a similar sensibility um, and we just enjoy each other's company. But then there's also, there is, I think a shared experience or perspective of that, performance background and understanding mm -hmm. that we are, you know, there to have fun or create content, create moments, create, you know, memories for those people who are there with us on those nights, experiencing, um, the gameplay kind of vicariously through us. And, yeah. uh, you don't get that with everybody. I, I think, um, I, I didn't even really, when I started streaming, I didn't even really put two and two together, that like people I didn't know could become collaborators. Um, cause I, I was streaming with a, a, a friend of mine who is actually my sister's boyfriend. And it was just cause I knew him in real life. And so it was just, Hey, do you want to, I was starting to do this streaming thing. I was like, Hey, you want to play games together? It was a nice, easy transition. And then it was uh, brother beard who was a previous guest on the, the episode. He came, um, or a uh, previous guest on the podcast, he, he came into one of my streams and I was like, if I ever meet you in the bayou, it's going to be a great battle. He's like, you know, we could team up. And it was like, that was yeah. the moment it clicked to me that, oh yeah, like I'm becoming a part of this community. It definitely is mm -hmm. possible that I start to collaborate with these people, but then introduce the, the part of it of like, you know, you might have an, uh, uh, a night where you are streaming with a new person and you just don't mesh well. And I think that I've experienced that uh, and it, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest night, but like, it's, it's just one of those things. It's a learning experience and you don't, at least in my situation, I didn't hold any bad blood, uh, with the person yeah. that I experienced that with, but like, I probably won't do that again with them because I just realized that, just our approaches to streaming, to playing games, it, it all just, it wasn't that same mesh that I might get with someone like Ghost Owl. So you have that risk when you're doing the collaborations. Yeah. Well, Brandon, you know, I'm, I'm not as big of a, I'm not as knowledgeable on Twitch because YouTube has been my primary platform. But one of the things I find to be interesting about Twitch 
is YouTube is your brand. For example, my YouTube channel is pretty much just like it's Steven. But I noticed that a lot of people like, for example, I am Ghost Owl. There's sort of like a, almost a, a code name thing going on for a lot mm-hmm. of Twitch streamers. What is the what's the story behind that? Like, is there a reason that this has happened? Like, it's a, it's just it's a totally different type of a community, and I'm curious if you know where this where this originates from. Oh man, I I mean historically I could only guess as to where it comes from, but I mean gamer handle since it's so closely yeah. tied with the gaming culture, I think like gamer handles have always been a thing, and it's yeah. really uh, rare for people to go by a first and last name online because some people. You know, they they figure out your first and last name, and next thing you know, you have like the police showing up at your door because you've been wanted or something. I don't know. Yeah. But there's a lot of risk, I think, in exposing kind of like personal information like that for some reason in a gaming platform, um, just because people don't like it when you when you win and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually uh, that's a good point. Actually, where, where does where does I am Ghost Owl come from? Well, I used to have a different name for the longest time on Twitch and in, in general kind of like gaming handle. And it used to be called I Am Atomo, uh, like A-T-O-M-O. And it's because I love that movie, The Iron Giant. It's one of my favorites. Um, and there's, you know, the giant is called Atomo by the main character at one point. And I just thought that was like a fun name. So I had that stick for a long time. But I found that anytime I would sub to somebody or I'd get talked about in a streamer's chat, like no one person had the same pronunciation of the name. And I always thought that was like really funny. Like I am Atmo or I am Atomo or just like nobody said it, I am Atomo. And I just thought that was like pretty funny. Um, they put a lot of mustard on the Tomo or the A or whatever. <laughs> and so I just switched to I am Ghost Owl because honestly on a whim, like I was playing a game while my son was um, just born and I was playing this game called Battletech. It's like a turn-based management sim, really kind of chill uh, game that you could jump in and out of and works perfectly when you have a baby that is is or is not sleeping at any given time and so you had to come up with a call sign and i loved uh ghost because i my ho- my birthday is on halloween and i love ghost stories and so i just picked a ghost and then owl is because i have i don't know if it's oh it is over here i have a little like tchotchke that i got when i lived in japan and it's a little little owl um oh, nice. that you can see yeah and so i was like uh and i tried to get ghost owl and it didn't work so i was like i am ghost owl um mm. and so there you go uh that's how i ended up with that name. I wish there was like a much cooler story about it, but I mean, that's it's it's really just too. It's like I feel like Brick from Anchorman when he's like, you know, lamp. I love yeah. <laughs> just like, like it's stuff in my office and be like, yeah, I am Ghost Owl. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> well, you got so many other cool stories. It's it's fine that this one is just lame, especially that one about Japan. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I used I to live the there. Right? Now. You used to I live there. So right? many stories. <laughs> Like the time, like, yeah. like, I know oh, no. that we have like goals to achieve in terms of what we want to talk about, but like the, I've I've ever told you how I got hit by a car in Japan. No, what? Yeah, I got hit by a car when I was so uh, I lived six miles from the college campus because they kept they took all the international students and they're like let's put them as far away from us as possible in this one apartment building that was six and a half miles from the campus. So you had to, but I only had a bike. So I had to ride my bike through the city, kind of to the outskirts of the city where the university was on the top of this like small mountain. And uh, one day I was riding and a guy just pulled out of an alleyway without looking and he just fucking clobbered me uh, on my bike. And I got thrown into the main road, um, which is more or less like a highway. 
um, on my bike. Thankfully, there were no cars coming, and the guy felt really bad. My bike was trashed. I was like 21, so you know, you get hit like that, and you just kind of like jump up like you, like a cartoon character, <laughs> and nothing's wrong with you apparently. Um, he gave me, and he like he was driving this like super nice heavy sedan, like some kind of Cadillac or something, and he gave me like 120 bucks equivalent, and just like drove. <laughs> <laughs> left this you know white dude in the middle of like a small city in japan with a broken bike and 120 bucks and uh thankfully no hospital visit required yeah that's good i i saw a person get hit by a car once when i was living in franklin tennessee i was going for a walk and this uh this runner was crossing just like a uh, like in a neighborhood uh put like a pedestrian walkway and a car took a right and just rocked him and the dude got up and just kept running. <laughs> he just kept, he just acted like it didn't Shoeless. happen. He just kept going, and the car just like sput like sput up like sped off. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going? You guys are both gonna act like this didn't just. <laughs> and the guy runs by me like, you okay? And like, they just ignored me. And they're, I could see in their eyes like their adrenaline was pumping, but it was the weirdest. It was the weirdest the kind thing of shit to witness. You can see. When you li- like, I don't know, that's like, I wasn't going to see stuff like that in a small town, Massachusetts, because it's so isolated. Like everybody, li- everybody lives there because there's more space, you know, like nobody has to be around other people if you don't want to be. Yeah. Versus like you live in, you move to New York and like the kind of crazy shit you'll see when you live in New York City, like happens regularly. It's not an, like, you know, there's this great HBO show. I forget what it's called. Um, might be called How To or something like that. And it's just like this guy filming just the people of New York just living their lives. And it's really surreal because I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's actually more similar to this than like this big glossy picture of what it's like to live in New York. People are super strange yeah. and they lean into it super hard in New York. And yeah. just like the time I saw like a guy in the bike lane, like just all waiting at a light, me and this bunch of people like walking to work or something. A dude just like pulls up in the bike lane to a red light and a guy runs up behind him and just like clobbers them it's because he had just winged them like recently on the bike and they're just like fighting and there's like old this old lady just yelling stop it's just like such a scene you know and that's and everyone else is kind of like all right and just (laughs) kind of walks on because you're like yeah they'll figure that out i'm gonna leave well i wonder too i i don't i mean i don't know the actual psychology behind it but i wonder if because that city is so populated and dense there is this almost encouraged um mentality to stand out where like things are bigger and more extreme because Mm -hmm. there's so much going on and so many people are like used to all the stimulation that you'll Mm -hmm. have two people fighting in the middle of the street and people will ignore it they'll just walk by it so it's like in order to get any attention at all you like have to do these big things big spectacles in order to you know yeah well, that's I like the anonymity of New York too, because you can't, you don't really, you're around so many people, you know, during the day of commuting to and from New York or being wherever you are because of how compact and densely settled everything is. Mm-hmm. That there's a degree of anonymity to it. You're just another person, um, you know, and that's been, excuse me, to me, like one of the more exciting parts when I lived in New York was just kind of like I, I, I am just this guy. Like nobody needs to, I don't need to stand out in this crowd. I can just be this person and Mm. kind of fade away. And that I liked a lot about New York is just being one face of many. Um, That was, that was a very big contrast to like living in Japan where I was, I think the city I lived in had like 2,500 people from not Japan. (laughs) So like 250,000 people with 
1% of that or whatever the math would be of people that aren't from Japan. So they could be from everywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, so like you get on a, a bus in Wakayamashi where I lived and people were like, there's a white guy in the bus and they just all stare at you, you know? So I liked the kind of an anonymity that New York brought. And then when I moved to LA, which is where I live now, um, you know, it, you, it's a lot different city than New York is entirely, but it's still like, you know, so densely settled and so full of people that it's kind of continues that vibe and that energy that New York had. Well, what about even the distinction from your hometown? Because I'm sure if it was a smaller environment, maybe like everybody knows everybody. Do you feel like oh, you're yeah. kind of seeking that a little bit because of that experience? Yeah, everybody did know everybody. And, you know, it was it was tough because like, I feel like maybe you guys probably have some sense of this to a degree. It's just like, you can never shake like the towns, the people in the town's perception of who you are mm-hmm. or the people that knew you, you know, like people know you from the kid that was maybe uh, like teased in middle school or the guy who had a bad haircut one day in like ninth grade and never lived it down or something. These aren't personal. I'm just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. No, we remember but, that ninth grade haircut. Yeah. At least someone does. <laughs> uh, I mean, we all had bad haircuts in ninth grade. Let's be honest. Um, but you know, it's, it's true though. Like, and so moving to New York um, is like this really interesting set of opportunities because there's just so many more people um, to try to connect with. And I feel like that was a big part of it that was tough for me too, was finding people that I could connect with that held similar interests that I did, you know, because yeah, it's cool. Like lots of people go to punk shows, but like you're not gonna be friends with everybody that goes to a punk show or something like that. You're gonna find people that also have other ways that you can relate to them interpersonally. And um, living in New York was a great place for that because you're just gonna meet so many more people that are all seeking this kind of chance to live somewhere really wild. Um, like mo- one of my best friends to this day, we had both moved to New York at the same time for the graduate program that we were in. And she was from South Carolina, you know? And so like really small town, South Carolina, her dad was like a pastor, you know, not like to say like she was like super sheltered, but just like going from that to New York was also like super, you know, an insane experience for her. Um, and like I said, we're still really good friends to this day, but like we would never have found each other in our respective like hometowns, you know, the type of people that we are right now or, or even were when we met and we needed to both be in New York for that to happen. Um, and so this isn't like an ad for move to New York.org or whatever, but <laughs> I think what I'm saying is like uh, taking these kind of risks to, to try and put yourself in a place that might be really uncomfortable, which is not for everybody is sometimes necessary though, for maybe some degree of personal growth. And that's what I feel like I got out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big part of what my my YouTube channel is basically like a big part of what I've talked about over the years has been how moving to Chicago and some other places I've moved to because I'm also from Brandon's been where I'm from. It's like you know a little more than ten thousand people, but it's like more mm-hmm. like twenty thousand. It's not all that big of a place either, and I've lived even in a smaller town than that before as well. So then coming to a city like Chicago, you do see just so many different things that I I didn't experience at all growing up. So. I absolutely do encourage people to to move out of their comfort zone and, and especially moving to a really big city. Yeah, yeah, and like it's not for everybody. Like my brother and my sister both live in the town we grew up in. You know, um, they have houses there, uh, and I have two older siblings, and they they both stayed there. And that's not to say it's for everybody, but if you if you're at all feeling like you're not able to connect with somebody and you wanna um, pay a lot for rent, definitely move to a big city. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to do that. You are sponsored uh, by New York, aren't you? 
Yeah, I am. I've been, I, this whole time, I'm sponsored by New York. I was going to say, like, to try to bring it back to some point of relevancy to the earlier conversation, you know, like, New York is where I had all these kind of weird jobs over the years. And, like, I started by working at the Japan Society of New York, where I did video production for them and did on-camera stuff, which is, like, I've sent you that interview I did where I was, like, talking to Travis Willingham and Laura Bailey, because I and I had no idea who they were because I don't watch anime. And... It's like, yeah, I'll do some research up front, but I'm, I don't know who these people are. And like now they're like two of the biggest people of all time because of being on Critical Role. Um, yeah. And then going and working, starting working in agencies is where I probably started to pick up a lot of the skills we talked about with like networking and talking in front of people, even if you're nervous and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, but New York is where I found opportunities to do that. I probably wasn't going to find them in small town Massachusetts, to be honest. Yeah. Well, this is a good segue into the next thing that I think uh, we wanted to get your perspective on. And you you touched on it a little bit um, in, in your earlier points. Um, your skills that you've developed through your professions, but then also these like creative pursuits, you know, whether that's uh, making uh, T-shirts for bands or, um, you know, doing the streaming stuff and making designs for your overlays. Like how do you feel development of these skills has played into one another? And, and do you find it valuable that you have kind of been in both sides of that life where it's not like you've just been a content creator, but you've also been in the, the agency world and then you've yeah. doing this other stuff. How do you feel they play into each other? Yeah, I've been a, a creator, right? Yeah. Um, well, like, I think a lot of this stuff and a lot of these world experiences, and this is like, maybe, uh, like, I don't know if I can compare it fairly. But like, one thing that I think has helped just broadly speaking about having life experiences like I've had, and I think about, um, you know, I, forget, I think it was on this podcast called You Made It Weird that I listened to pretty heavily for a number of years that Pete Holmes used was with the host of, he said, you have to have a life worth talking about um, as a comedian. And I always really liked that perspective because um, I always used to try to relate everything to design. So if I'm going to be a designer and a designer is meant to be a reflection of something, then I need to have make sure that I have life experiences that will influence that uh, and make sure that I can make an accurate reflection of what I'm trying to communicate. So, you know, to me, like the design skills that I picked up um, and working in an agency more broadly definitely helped me a great deal. I think it's the fact like, you know, that I can design all my own t-shirts and do my own overlays. And uh, a lot of that stuff came from working, going to graduate school and studying design, of course, but then also working in that field for like a decade um, and not being a visual designer. Like I wasn't a visual designer at my jobs. Um, I was at my, my first agency that I worked at, but the second one that I probably was the most tenured at, I just did uh, UX design and strategy and UX design being kind of like, how does this website work um, if we put all the pieces together, like what are the requirements and features that need to be present to make sure that people enjoy using it and all that kind of stuff. But then I'd be working with these people that are phenomenal visual designers and just being around people that are of that caliber uh, every day for like six years will definitely have an impact on how you see composition and layout and visual consistency and all these other kind of factors. Um, so all of those things were really kind of helpful in terms of making sure that when I make, uh, when I, I, that I actually have a process for doing these things. I don't just go and make 
you know, a set of overlays for my channel. I like follow a process that I've learned from working as a designer for a number of years to ensure that at least it feels consistent and it feels kind of tight, you know, versus kind of just figuring out as I go. And I think you learn how to make mistakes differently um, if you have more experience. And so that definitely helped a lot in that capacity. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of soft skills were super important from the jobs that I've had because eventually I was the I was an associate director of user experience design. I had people that I managed and people that answered to me um, over a department of 30 people. Um, I would be the lead on projects. So I would be the primary person that's in contact with clients that we had. And those clients would be people like CNBC or um, Stytown or the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, now called the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. And I would be the person like they would if, if something went wrong on the project, it would be my fault if it didn't go right. And so you learn all these other soft skills around interpersonal communication, hmm. um, how to sell an idea, how to communicate an idea, how to be in a room with a very scary, perceivably scary executive who, you know, it's it, how to talk to them in a way that builds confidence and trust. And you don't necessarily have to do the same kind of stuff when you're streaming, but being able to kind of at least Com being comfortable even just talking in front of strangers is something that I think helped me a lot just from having a lot of those experiences uh, working as a designer and, and like teaching too, for sure. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I think um, we've picked up on, and you, you could probably speak to this as well, is that the the flip side of that, where the, the time that we've spent on like the podcast the time that I've spent on streaming, um, I feel like, you know, regardless of where any of this may lead, you know, because we might have these goals or uh, ideal situations where things uh, pan out in a certain way where this is like our, our main thing. Um, I still feel like I've developed uh, certain skills or certain capacities to handle things because of the time that I've spent on this stuff. Do you feel that as well do you feel like your your streaming life has helped you in your professional life do you feel like the stuff you did with music might have helped you lead into the do you have any of that as well you know it's tough to say if streaming has helped me in some other kind of capacity outside of streaming um if anything it has made me a lot more i I'll, it's tough to say i don't know i i think i have to spend more time streaming because like I feel like I was doing design work from roughly 2008, you know, and I, I think I I was very bad at it until like 2013. <laughs> it took me like five years to make stuff that I think was like of a quality that I kind of liked. And that might come down to that, like uh, that Ira Glass uh, kind of thought on creativity. Have you ever heard of that one before, Ira Glass? Mm -mm. He like, so he's the host of This American Life um, I think I, I think it's a still running podcast, but either way, it was like a, a long running podcast on NPR. And now I may be solo. Was it back um, in like the fifties or something? Yeah, it was back in the nineteen fifties. It was an old timey radio show. <laughs> no, it was. Um, he uh, he's this really great host, and so he, I forget, I don't even know the context of it, but he was basically talking about when you're a creative person, you know, you're going to make a lot of stuff that's very bad, and that's going to frustrate you because you probably also have really good taste, and what you're making doesn't align to what your taste is. And so that's going to be really crippling potentially. And a lot of people never make it out of that. They never make it out of that point where they're making shit that they don't like because it doesn't match their taste. And th those two never surpass each other. But if you keep with it and you keep doing it, 
after a while, your ability to make stuff will in fact like surpass or match up to or align to your taste. And you'll be able to make things that you like and I think are good. And I don't know if I'm there yet on Twitch, you know, like with the stuff that I do in terms of that content, I definitely know I'm there with design. And so I almost like, I don't see them as uh, interdependent on one another, I guess, where like, I feel like streaming has ended up influencing like my professional work. But I can certainly say that the stuff that I did like professionally influenced like how I think about my work and even like some of the strategies that I think about in terms of um, being more methodical uh, when I make a decision to do something like when I switched over to hunt, right? Like that was a big strategic choice that I decided to make. And it wasn't completely just like an, a whim. You know, <laughs> I did a lot of research to figure out like what game should I switch to? Yeah. Well, just real quick, I want to say the context of, so when he's talking about switching to hunt, he started off playing a game called elite dangerous on like, that was his main game. And you were pretty like, one of the bigger streamers of that category, right? Of that game. And my, and my time slot. Yeah. Like I would have, uh, you know, 30 ish people, sometimes like 40 and it wasn't a huge category. You know, you're talking mm -hmm. 250 people total. And so I was in the top three of the directory, like most nights when you'd come through, yeah. um, which is pretty huge. Uh, and so, you know, that it was interesting though, because I, was streaming it for a long time and I was kind of like running out of stuff to do I felt like in the game and that's not really the game's problem it was like a me problem you know like I was finding less ways to keep myself compelled to keep returning to it night after night and what started to happen was a guy that would stream in the morning who had who was the biggest streamer in the category decided to start streaming at night in my time slot and so I started to see that number start to trend downward and I realized okay that's a that's a bit of an like annoying thing I can keep sticking with it but if he starts streaming all the day, which is what he was doing, then I'm gonna, that's gonna hurt my numbers. And then another guy who had taken a break from the game came back and started streaming it. And he had kind of like a built-in audience. And so I started to see that number that was consistently in the 30s and 40s start to drop into the 10s and the 20s. And I was like, oh crap. And then the game came out with an update and I, my computer at the time couldn't run it at all. And so it was just so unoptimized that I couldn't play it. And you kind of look at, as a creator, if you are focusing all of your content on a game and everyone else in the category can play it but you, you feel like you're pretty screwed. Yeah. And so that's when I decided to, I was like, okay, I need to have a backup plan and I can't just play whatever I want every night because I feel like that's not gonna be a sustainable path for growth either. It might, but I think it's gonna take way longer because I've seen people that try to do variety streaming and you know, it takes forever potentially to build a community. And so I thought like, I this worked for me to stream one game with this community. I'm gonna find another game that has a bigger community total, like a bigger total current concurrent viewership across the category. And I'm gonna find a game that maybe has more opportunities for um, different types of content than I was getting because they, I would never be able to make the kind of content that I do playing Elite because it's just, you're flying a spaceship in space. It's a space flight sim game versus like running around in the old West with zombies. Like that's a lot different stakes, you know? Yeah. And then you add people like you into the, onto my team and you blew me up with a grenade. Like the second time we played <laughs> together, like that doesn't <laughs> happen in Elite. Like the stakes are a lot different in Elite. If you blew up my ship, I'd probably be kind of disappointed because it's expensive <laughs> versus like a hunt. It's like, oh, oh, that was cool. You killed me in uh, on my team. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you get these chances to do it, but I was trying to find a game that had that opportunity to do it. Like where the, there was like a spread of people in the top where not everybody 
it was like one person with 10,000 viewers and then a bunch of people with no viewers, you know, it was, it was pretty evenly spread out. And I was like, there's a cool opportunity to maybe switch here. Even though I never really played competitive PVP games, even though the only PVP, like PV uh, or FPS game I've ever played was Destiny, you know, which is way different than Hunt too. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of like an interesting thing to choose to do that. But I, I was really careful about it. And I looked, I researched a lot of games before I arrived at Hunt. And I had like different like kind of metrics that were important to me to make sure that I could do it. And so that is something that I picked up on, like that kind of level of consideration, I think is also from my job about being like really careful and having a reason as to like why you do something, uh, not just kind of doing it um, was important to me. Did you, uh, do you remember what you're going to say? Um, so what, what were we talking about right before this? <laughs> what were we talking about? We were, I, well, you're talking, oh, we were I talking did. about, um, I asked him if the skills within like streaming and stuff have influenced his professional. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to comment. Like, I, I think that that's, it's interesting because I definitely like for me, my job and like I, I work with my clients and I do feel like I've, I've been sharper because on the podcast, like back and forth, back and forth, you always kind of got to be ready with what you're going to say next. And I feel like that's helped. But one of the things that's really helped me has been when you've got a nine to five and then you've got aspirations doing all this content stuff, you have to really be good at just being on all as pretty much all hours of the day. So I found that at my job, I can work weekends if I need to, and it's way easier. I can work late into the night if I absolutely need to, because I've just gotten so accustomed to like the work ethic that comes between the two of them. I find it interesting that for you, you can have this, this like separation between the two of them. I almost wonder if there could even be some benefit for me to be able to separate them more at times. And I also, the, that, the whole idea of you make content or you create in the beginning and it's not really as good as you want it to be. So you can be kind of discouraged. Like anyone who has ever done content, I feel like needs to hear that because I think that very few people go into any of this stuff and are very good in the very beginning Mm -hmm. and they get super discouraged and they give up on it. There's some exceptions, but it's not a lot of them. And I, I can say that I thinking back about some of the first things that I did, I, I cringe at, at any of them because it's just so far off what I wanted to do. So I've never heard somebody put it in those words, but a thousand percent, anyone who does content, you got to get over that hump. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I, this is completely anecdotal. I don't have any data to back this up, but I feel like psychologically a lot of creators or creative type people that I know are borderline perfectionists. And so they, they have great visions and great ideas, but when it comes to putting those ideas to paper, so to speak, conveying that idea in whatever, uh, creative form they choose that's a little harder to do and harder to develop those skills. So I, I do see a lot of times where people are, they try that and they're like, damn it, this didn't turn out the way I envisioned this in my head. Yeah. And, and that can be discouraging, but there is that you got to keep going because that vision is 
huge. Like there are a lot of people who don't have the capacity to have that creative vision or idea, uh, part of themselves. They just execute things and Mm -hmm. you can develop the skills to execute that vision. You just got to keep at it. You got to be patient. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean like streaming on Twitch is an, is a very different kind of, um, kind of modality for, for creativity and like creating content like you're talking about is, is very different for me too, because you know, this whole time I've been like creating, uh, strategies for, like clients at my job or something like that. Or now at my current job, I'm, I'm creating the same kind of stuff, you know, and it's, it's very different kind of content versus like, you know, one of the things that I think has been crucial for me is looking at not necessarily the work that I do, but like the way in which I go about it, like the process of me doing it, because that's where when somebody I've noticed in my professional career is able to make kind of like have this kind of insight about the way that I do something that's been those kind of moments are like almost catalysts for like really kind of exponential growth for me. And you don't necessarily get that as much on Twitch, um, which is why I'm so glad that I I've kind of found the hunt community and, and been able to kind of build kind of better interpersonal relationships with people that also stream it. I mean, like you and I and a few other folks go, we'll talk deeply about like this whole thing of trying to stream on Twitch and like what it means and like what we're trying to do. And, you know, I kind of miss that because um, I went to art school, you know, and you're in class and you have 12 people that are in your your year, whatever you want to call it. And like you kind of have these peers that you can go to and like kind of shoot the shit with and figure out and hopefully learn more about yourself or learn more about other people or learn sometimes like those perceptions that other people have of you can be really profound um, when you hear them, you know, like uh, and, and build you up in ways that you maybe never even thought about yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. So. I think that's been a really beneficial thing about switching over to hunt is just that like the other streamers, you know, they are more open to streaming together, but also just kind of chatting outside of streaming. You know, they're not uh, like, I think we've, I think I've talked to you about before about how an elite, like nobody did that. Nobody streamed together really. And if they did, they were streaming with their viewers and they weren't allowed to talk on their stream a lot of the time. (laughs) Well, it's so weird too, because from what I've seen of that gameplay, like, you go out on mission. You can go out on missions yeah. together, so it yeah. ju- it felt very odd to me just because the only really community that I've been entrenched in has been Hunt and seeing yeah. how collaborative it is and how um, sort of uh, tight knit the community can be. To to hear you speak about something like Elite Dangerous and th- this kind kind of gives a glimpse into. Um, you know, when, when I, or people that we bring on the show talk about the hunt community, it is, that's just one part of Twitch. Like you could go to a different game and have a completely different experience than what we're talking about in terms of how people interact and, and play together or collaborate, any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, Uh, but go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to, say, I think like those types of things have been really important to me. And I don't know that I, and and maybe that's the kind of learning I've gotten from my job is that I really need other people or, or you know, the, my creative background, if we're going to talk about it like that, like having people that you trust for feedback, you know, is, is been super important. And I learned that through going to art school and having a few 
people out of that, you know, those classes that it's just like, I can come to you and you're going to tell me, you're going to give me your opinion and I'm going to respect your opinion, even if I don't agree with it mm -hmm. versus like, we're on, we're creating content and I'm sure both of y'all can, re you know, recognize this emotion of just like, who's this asshole who's saying that they thought this was dumb? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't care what they think. It's, it's a lot different. Um, now so having people that you can trust for for kind of advice and feedback like that is really important yeah the, can you speak to that at all yeah. with youtube comments <laughs> yeah everyone in the youtube comments thinks they have uh like they're they're all a critic and they all have horrible advice well and <laughs> not, then, not everyone but a lot and then you'll go to their channels and they got zero videos uploaded or it's like stock footage or something yeah you should do your videos yeah, yeah. like this okay you should do videos at all you should just have <laughs> a, a video and then maybe i'll see what you're talking like Every once mm -hmm. in a while, I'll click and be like, okay, they have some videos. They're terrible, but at least, like, they try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that gives yeah, some yeah. credits. Yeah. Well, it's, like, it's it's obvious. Like, I think that's a really funny kind of aspect of it, too, because, you know, when I would go to a lot of networking events, and this kind of shaped a lot of how I feel about networking in terms of streaming, too, but just, you know, I had a job at a place that was very desirable to work at. It was a place called Code and Theory. It was, like, a really well-known uh, agency in the United States. It um, has won a lot of awards. I helped win a lot of the awards that it's won during my tenure there too. And you go to a networking event and people know that company immediately, you know, wherever you are in the country a lot of the time. And, you know, they, they want to talk to you immediately about working there, you know, like, because that's a place that if you hear somebody works there, you're like, oh, I want to work there too. And it just felt so greasy right away. Just like there's somebody to be like, you know, they, they almost code switch into this different human being than you're just having a conversation with. And they want to like, have like, snake in an opportunity somewhere then you'll get their work just because you're trying to be nice and you're like oh this is very bad design work though this isn't like good stuff mm -hmm. i can't possibly refer you to my company even if i'm being nice because i don't want to waste anybody's time and that sounds really ruthless but like you know that's it's it's like i was playing on like a professional sports team but in the context of design and somebody was still playing jv and I, i'm not even trying to elevate like how i view my practice but at the time, like that's a really high performing company. Like I told you, like I worked nights and weekends all the time and I worked my face off and worked with all these like big clients and whatnot. So when you go to a networking event and somebody wants to break in and they like are just doing it in an insincere kind of disingenuous way because they want something from you, like you can tell right away and you can tell I'm sure on Twitch too. Like I've never been in a position where I feel like I'm, I'm that person asking somebody else for that opportunity where I want something from them because I just don't think like that's the right way to, to process even like th that kind of request of somebody else. Mm -hmm. But I, I've seen it happen from other people when I'm watching somebody else, someone will, someone will come into their channel while they're live and ask about streaming with them sometime. And it's just like this, this person has like a hundred people watching them right now. They, they're not starving for content from you. Like who they've never heard of before. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, are you, what are you, what are you thinking in that moment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Shooting your shot is one thing, but like, come on, you like think think a little bit more strategically about it than that. Well, then even the to take it a step further, um, they they do that, and then you have sometimes people get upset that you decide to say no to them, and it's just like, oh, hold on yeah. here, buddy. I'm, yeah, like, like you're the bad guy, right? Exactly. Like, like, oh yeah. Okay. How about some <laughs> etiquette first of all? You're supposed like, to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you say no? Yeah. Wait, oh my so, God. so Ghost Al, how, how, uh, or Mr. Al or Mr. Ghost, uh, whatever, uh, whatever your preference is. <laughs> you can call me Mike too. It's like that started to circulate a lot on Twitch now that people call me Mike. So you can call me that too if you want. Oh, it's been making the rounds? 
Yeah, a lot of hunt streamers, especially starting from Andreso, have started to call me Mike. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Mike. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I can't remember my Mike. question. Now. <laughs> Wait, okay, okay. So how, how, like, given the fact that you, you've done a lot of different things, and I, I agree, like the the experiences really do play a role in even improved content. When you've got interesting things to talk about, it it definitely makes the content better. But how exactly do you find yourself prioritizing when you have so many things going on between your job, between Twitch, between being a father, a husband, and everything? Like, how do you make these types of prioritizations in your life? Oh, man. Well, I think, like I said, like I worked a lot when I had that other job. You know, I worked uh, 12 hour, 10 or 12 hour days were really common. Weekends are really common. So, like, that stems back to always having a job since I was like 13, you know, with my. My dad always like put me to work as soon as I could, like paying me under the table working in, in his kitchen because he was a chef. And so I think I just have this like work ethic that makes it feel like if I'm not working, then I'm doing something wrong. You know, if I'm not doing something, I need to be filling my time with uh, being doing doing something, uh, keeping busy, doing uh, contributing something, I guess. Do you think and any so of that, that comes from living through the Great Depression, you think? <laughs> was the great depression a different experience in japan <laughs> oh man it was a very different country then um yeah it's uh well like i always think of this like in living color sketch where like they were talking about like families that come over from different countries and how they have like a work ethic where they're just always working and both my parents my, my mom's dad came over from poland when he was a kid and so she grew up with like this first generation european immigrant father and an irish mom and my dad was irish and so just kind of like always working like you always need to be working and both my parents strive really hard to um they got married at like 19 and didn't have any money and so they've always been working and so it was just kind of always in my head i guess that you always need to be doing something with your time and maybe it's difficult for me to potentially shut off to some to some extent but i guess that is part of that relationship with that I have to the things that I'm doing. So I always feel like compelled to be keeping busy with something that I'm interested in or passionate about. And thankfully I'm, I'm interested in streaming and, and creating content and whatnot. So that's been a big part of it because I treat it with the kind of sincerity that I would treat being an, a, like a visiting assistant professor, you know, like the amount of work that I put into the stuff that I do um, to me is uh, feels like a lot. Um, so I, I definitely treat it with a lot of kind of sincerity um, my job is amazing right now because it is un, like kind of a typical eight, you know, eight to five job, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a day job and I don't work late nights. I think I can count the number of times I've worked the kind of schedule I had on less than one hand, um, at my current job. So that affords me this other opportunity to just finally have the space to explore this type of stuff. And so as a result, my job kind of chills out when I'm not at it or when I'm working at it. And that's been really helpful. But then you have this other factor of like, two people in my life that are so incredibly important than everything else. Um, with my wife who has been on my stream sometimes, uh, Suze, um, and then my son. And I started streaming after he was born, oddly enough. And I think it was because, um, you know, maybe with COVID, we weren't really going anywhere at night. He goes to bed at like seven ish and he sleeps through the night. And I was just like, you know what? I really think now's the time to try to stream. And so I'll stream after he goes to bed and make sure that I'm, whenever he's awake and I can be with him, 
I'm going to be as engaged with them as I possibly can. It's oftentimes why, like, on weekends, I kind of drop off the radar um, around streaming and being on Twitch even as a viewer. Because um, I, like, I, and I'll, you'll see me come into people's chats maybe and talk about it. It's like, no, I'm on dad duty today. Like, he's taking a nap, and I'm here right now for the next maybe 30 minutes, and then I'm going to be gone for the rest of it because I'm going to be, like, chasing him around or something or bringing him to the park or doing something else with him. Because I want to make sure that if he's awake and he's not at daycare, then he's getting me. You know, he's he's at least getting his dad to hang out with him. Um, and it's the same thing is true with my wife, too, because she and I have been together since 2013. And so we want to make sure that we give each other that same time. And so that's why I try to never stream like Friday, Saturday, Sunday at all, if I can. Because then I can make sure that um, we're spending time as a family. But then after he goes to bed, like we get to spend time as adults, like being adults together and like talking with one another because you're always reminded in those moments where you just have this like really easy conversation with, uh, in, the, in the case of like my spouse, where you just like immediately relate to each other and know what each other is talking about. And it's like a really wonderful thing. And I would never want to deprive myself of that, like be able to do that too. So I think it's just like, honestly, like the stars aligned kind of perfectly for me to be able to balance all of these things. And I don't know um, how I could have done it any other time in my life, truthfully either. Like when I was, uh, I mean, I've even when I started watching Twitch, I was we were dating at the time, but like I had tried to do it and I would try to do it on a Saturday morning. But then like my wife and I just crushed ourselves all week doing our job. So like we wanted to be together and do something fun on a Saturday morning, you know, and not have me stream for four or five hours and then go do something. You know, it, it, it was a lot of different stakes versus now, like just constraining it to the night and like the nights that I do it, which is. Monday through Thursdays from 6.30 Pacific as a mini shout out from himself. Um, yeah. You know, it, it works perfectly um, as, as like a balanced thing because, you know, that's when uh, I can also get the time to, and I think my wife also sees it as me being able to re-energize myself too, like by doing it. Because it is kind of an energizing experience for me to be able to stream. Well, it, this is honestly a, a question more so for me personally because I feel like this is one of my flaws within this pursuit is you know when people say I, you know I want it so bad it's an intangible thing like we, we can't really measure like how bad you want something and I wouldn't make an argument that like the desired growth and success on Twitch that I want it more than you do but I feel like I see in you an ability to compartmentalize between these different things that you're balancing better than I can. And I feel like I get so tunnel visioned on a lot of times in my life, this one thing that I'm, I'm loving and I just, I'm passionate about and I get really honed in and I'm just go, 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 give it everything I got all the time. And then I feel like my ability to stay present within the other aspects of my life kind of fall by the wayside. I'm I'm curious if you, if that's a conscious thing that you are like trying to remain present in each part of your life. If, if you are, you know, when you're in that eight to five, if mm -hmm. your headspace is really locked into just that, and then you kind of put that box away and now you step into family mode do you feel things bleeding into each other ever like how does your brain handle that stuff because i feel like i struggle with it so much i mean my i feel like i um 
they things do kind of blend together. I mean, sometimes like I'll get a message on Discord while I'm working. And to me, I like my brain kind of processes that the same way that I would a Slack message that I get, you know, Slack being like another kind of communications tool. Um, and so I'll be like, can I answer this right now? If I can't, like I, a lot of that came from being so busy at my last job where I kind of developed this like prioritization in my head. It's like, if I can do this in five minutes, I'm going to do it right now because I might, if I push this off and I could have done it in five minutes, it's probably going to take me an hour or two to then reconcile it later. Um, so that's kind of end up to how I prioritize a lot of things is if I can handle something in that moment, I'm going to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to wait to do it. Um, it takes so little effort to um, be, for me anyway, at this point, to be organized about you know who I'm streaming with, what I'm streaming. I try to plan it out like two to three weeks, sometimes a month in advance. I'm hitting people up. you know, I message the, a bunch of different people with dates, and I'm coordinating all of that. A lot of that stuff to me is just really easy to just be like, you know, I'm gonna. This is gonna take me a minute. I'm gonna send a message. They're not gonna get back to me until tomorrow, and I never. But I never have to think about it because at least I sent the message. Um, that's, I guess, how I prioritize some of that kind of stuff and how things maybe blend together. Uh, but you know, the streaming uh, doesn't happen until long after the workday's over, until my son is like in bed. Uh, so it's it's great because that is it's it's a very clean kind of cutoff between those things. You know, like I'm not. It's very rare that I'm finishing my workday and like running over to my desk and then starting to stream right away. It's, I, I have done that in the past. It's really rare that I'm not getting to see my kid at night because I'm because of a I'm streaming with somebody that starts streaming earlier than me and I want to make sure that I can start with them. But I try to do that. But all these things are great because I'm able to kind of have these kind of neat kind of cutoffs between those different events um, mm -hmm. in my life. And maybe they bleed together in terms of like the operational aspects of streaming and in scheduling and whatnot. But for the most part, it's been pretty easy to kind of keep them contained, I guess. So it's really just an organizational thing, really. Like you, yeah. you do your best to kind of set up your schedule so that things don't run into each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, like also making sure that I have dedicated time, like I was mentioning earlier, that I know is kind of like my like mine, like my Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when I don't stream, it's because it's like I'm hanging out with my wife and my son all day and night. And those are kind of give me opportunities too to get some distance from it if possible. But that said, like I also love streaming and, and being on Twitch in general and kind of connecting with people and building relationships with them. Like it's a lot of fun. Like this is slightly tangential to it, but like if your name pops up in my chat or if my name pops up in your chat, it's like a lot of fun to see that kind of thing happen. And so I have to believe that if that when my name comes up in people's chats where they know me or we played together, like that's got to be at least kind of fun for them. And so I like being able to be part of that experience for the content creator too. Of like, oh, this guy's here. I know who they are. They're kind of fun. And they, they're trying to make sure that like this is a fun kind of thing. That's a good thing. Um, I like being able to be part of that kind of uh, creation of content too, from like the viewer perspective, even on the weekends when I can. Mm -hmm. So, so to unpack that, even your life is very scheduled out. So, cause I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of a situation that Brandon might be in that he would handle differently than a situation that you might be in. So if you had a, a stream and you got to like a certain time, like, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock, like, like, do you have like a hard cutoff where you're like, no, I absolutely need to go right now. Or if you have a situation where someone says, hey, I want to stream with you on Saturday night where you weren't originally planning to do that. Like, do you just, are you good about just saying, no, I can't do that. And no, I need to stop right now. 
Uh, well, the first question, I mean, if somebody, if I'm streaming late and like, let's say I got raided, you know, meaning like a lot of viewers were dumped into my channel by somebody else, I'll try to stay up a little bit later um, to kind of both drag the kind of quantitative like metrics that Twitch values up a little bit, but also just kind of create, give myself an opportunity to be higher up in the directory for a little while. Um, and also kind of give people a show because I feel like that's what your the responsibility of being rated is like. It's like you should try to stay up for like a little bit if you got rated, you know, um, etiquette wise. Um, but um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is when I don't typically stream. There's a couple of people that um, have asked me or I've asked them and I make exceptions for them because they're either people that are really hard to book and I, I might not otherwise get a chance if I don't say yes to be able to stream with them. Um, or there are people that like I genuinely have a great time with, and this is the day that they are available this month, and I really wanted to play with them because we have a great time streaming together. Like um, I should say, like like every time I've ever played with Lunar up until this past week, Lunar Fellas is a great Twitch streamer in the hunt category too. It's usually been on like a Friday, uh, you know, when like a Friday nights are kind of my off limit nights where I'm trying to hang out with my wife, but um, I love getting to stream with her so much that I'm like, I'll make an exception for it. Or like whiskey asked me to stream on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's like the same thing. Whiskey Frizz is another hunt streamer who's amazing and has a great community and makes great content. And so like, you know, that I get a chance to stream with her and, and do something different because one of the times we streamed together, we made a cocktail together on stream, like via, you know, discord and, and whatnot. And I thought that was amazing. And I'm not going to get the opportunity to do that often. So, you know, I'll, I'll make exceptions to it, but, it's not necessarily the rule, uh, I guess, is the important thing for me. Gotcha. Anything else you wanted to talk about on this? No, I mean, I'm ready to play the uh, Movie Critics Must Go when we can. We made it. We made it <laughs> to the moment that everybody was waiting for. They're like, oh, stop talking about all this boring stuff. Let's get to Movie Critics Must Go. <laughs> all those go. people in the Philippines are going to be super stoked yeah. right now. Oh, they mostly crazy. care about Movie Critics Must Go. We, they send us videos of them. <laughs> they So they typically watch us in a theater. Um, so like they book out actual movie theaters, and we get standing ovations during this part. So. Gosh dang Amazing. it, I keep this, this thing This down. never has fallen down until today, I feel I like. I can't move my mic, I guess. This is this is part of the mechanics of being a podcast. So you got to move the I mic around. I spent so much money making the studio look incredible, and you're just knocking it down. <laughs> wow. I'm really proud of the way you did this studio. Great. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Great job, man. Quite the artist, too. Um, okay, let me, let me get this bad boy pulled up here. So... Uh, we always give this uh, background on on um, what this part of the show is. Movie Critics Must Go is a game where we read the synopsis of movies, and from the synopsis alone, we each take a chance at guessing the Rotten Tomatoes critic score. If a critic score is not available, we will resort to audience score um, as a consolation. But typically, we try to land on the critic score our last time that we did this um i just so happened to pick movies that really only had audience scores yeah so this time i picked more uh recent movies thinking that the newer movies would probably have a better chance of being on rotten tomatoes so um ghost i know there's a lot of pressure riding on you here but i i believe in you i believe in your success here um, I'm just kidding. We're gonna kick your ass. So I really hope so. <laughs> All right, hold on. I gotta fucking get this Google Doc up. 
All right. So our first movie is called... Um, and if you've seen the movie, we're kind of out of luck. You just give what you think the Rotten Tomato score is. All right. This movie's called Split Second. I haven't it, seen it. All right. It was made in 1992. Synopsis is as follows. Michelle Maxwell has just wrecked her promising career at the Secret Service. Against her instincts, she let a presidential candidate out of her sight for the briefest moment, and the man whose safety was her responsibility vanished into thin air. Sean King knows how the younger agent feels. That's it. Yeah, so this is uh, 1992, the the year of my birth, which doesn't play a huge factor into this, but I think... They got Sean King in this movie, but they wanted to get Sean Kingston into this movie. And Sean King wasn't <laughs> quite as go good. We could go the tropics. Wasn't quite what, what they were looking for. Um, there were no beautiful girls from... in this one, and as a result, 16%. 16%. Oh, my gosh. All right, Ghost <laughs> L, what is, your, uh, what is your guess on this? 33%. 33%. What's your logic? Uh, this movie sounds bad, and I've never heard of it. <laughs> this movie, the plot sounds so contrived from what you just described. I don't know, man. I think this sounds incredible. Here's the thing. 1992 was a killer year. Everything that happened in 1992 was just insane. So I think the critics so many are going better nuts. movies were just around the corner from in 1993 as well. Yeah, that doesn't matter. 1992 is where it's at because that was the year that Steven and I were born. So (laughs) that was the year that just everything, pretty much anything that came into existence that year was just spectacular. I'm going to give this a a 90%. A 90%. (laughs) Completely opposite of what we guessed. Where does the truth lie? Where does the truth lie? Let's find out. Uh, Wait, so what was your guess? 16? 16. You had 33? Yeah. And I had 90. 33. Split second in 1992. Uh, another one without a critic score. <laughs> oh what a surprise. Movie. Audience score is 56%. So I believe Ghost Owl takes this one. He's the closest, right? Wow. That's like the furthest off I've ever heard us get, though. <laughs> Nobody was close. Also, like to get a, to, like, a Rotten Tomatoes score in the 50s as an audience means that's a bad movie. Like a oh, 5 yeah. out of 10, that's a bad movie. Yeah, I think... Is 60% certified fresh? It's Usually, 70. right? 70? Well, either either way, like, I always judge it based off of, like, IMDb. Because if, like, if a movie was, like, a 7.0-ish, or then it was pretty good, you know, you're probably going to like it. If it was a 6.0, you're, it's like, all right, this is a little more niche. You might not like it. You start to get down to, like, 5 and below, you're like, this movie's not going to be good. I'm, yeah, it's yeah. going to be watchable, maybe, but not, like, a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you took the first one, so you got an early lead, but we, okay, we, we to see. It, it is a best of three series here, best so we'll three. see what happens. Right. Um, this next one is called Burning. It was made in 2018. What? Uh, Jung So <laughs> runs into Hai Mi, a girl who once lived in his neighborhood, and she asks him to watch her cat while she's out of town. When she returns, she introduces him to Ben, a man she met on the trip. Ben proceeds to tell Jung So about his hobby. That's it. <laughs> That's the synopsis. <laughs> it's a synopsis. Was there a year on that, that one? That's the whole movie. This was, this was 2018. It's not a real movie. It's a real movie. Um, I, I know it is a real movie because it's in your phone, but it's just like it doesn't sound like a real movie. 
movie uh, called Burning. That yeah. sounds like it's South Korean as well, right? If I had to guess. Um, I, I'm not actually sure. Okay. It's, I'm guessing. You're 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 the first up because you got that last one right. Oh my god. It's a foreign film, but like you know, I feel like for it to have reached uh, American shores, it's a lot of a different circumstance. Um, whereas like there's a lot of popular South Korean films and filmmakers in the United States, like this doesn't like resonate with anything I've ever heard of before. I'm gonna put this in at fifty five percent. Fifty five percent. Okay. I'll go. I'll go next here. I think um, the synopsis is breathtaking. I mean, I if it was a 20-minute movie just about what is explained here, I would give this an incredible score. I'm going to be a little more conservative than last time just because I think I got a little ahead of myself. But, uh, yeah, this is a masterpiece. I can just tell. I mean, how many times do you hear a synopsis where a guy named Ben tells people about their hobby? Like, that's... That's unique. That's original. It's mm-hmm. creative. And that's yeah. that's what I'm here for because uh, it's art. So I'm going to give this one an 86%. 86%. Okay, so we don't have a lot to go off on this one, but I think Squid Games is, is a Korean movie, right? South Korean movie. Uh, or not mm-hmm. even a movie. It's a TV show. TV uh, show, yeah. So, But I think that Squid Games was – I think this was like the first Squid Games. Like Squid Games got its inspiration – from Ben and this cat and the hobbies related to, to the, the movie. I, I think that um, because of that, uh, Squid Game is very inspired and, and because it's a good movie. And uh, cats in 2018 were very popular uh, because the internet made the cats <laughs> very popular. When <laughs> the movie like Cats came cats out. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that this is a 91%. A 91%. I think it's a very, very good movie. Wow. Well, the results are in. Steven takes this one. It's a 95%. 95% critic score? That's the critic. The audience score was 80%. The movie is called Burning. Burning, yeah. It's got... Um, wow. Uh, Steven Yun from Walking Dead. No shit. Okay. Yeah. All right. See, yeah, I mean, huh. I I could just tell on this one. If you told me Stephen Yun was in it, I would have bumped the score exponentially. That guy's that guy is like Midas with some, with, with everything he's in. It seems. And you were right; it is Korean. Uh, original language of the movie is Korean, so there we go. This is getting competitive here. I better, yeah, you better step up. I better get this one, otherwise, <laughs> one of you guys is taking this away. Yeah. Um. Okay. So our potential last one is a movie called Baby Teeth. All right, this movie was. Where made. are you finding the whole? Where are you finding the goddamn movie? So each week I look up obscure movies or like weird movies. Yeah. But just because I want to find ones that we probably haven't seen or our guests haven't seen, so this one's called Definitely. Baby Teeth. Um, this one is uh, Mila Finlay is a 16 year old schoolgirl recently diagnosed with cancer. On her way home from school one day, she meets 23-year-old Moses on a railway platform, and he almost immediately asks her for money. Her distraught parents eventually track the weakened Mila down and take her to the hospital. And that's it. Was this Mila the actress or it, the I think that's the, the character, character name. Hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I've never heard of that actress, so. 
Uh, I'll go first this time because I haven't gone first yet. Um, you know what? I, I'm feeling like all of these movies that we're talking about today are just bangers. All right. <laughs> you know, I, I was wrong about the first one. I was a little, uh, I, I personalized it a little bit cause it was 1992. Uh, and that's a lot of people's favorite year because I was born that year. But right. I feel like, I mean, the title in itself, baby teeth, there's baby driver. People really like that movie. Baby teeth has like this, uh, dramatic, uh, thrilling story of, of this, this young girl, uh, battling cancer and, and fighting the odds. And we love, uh, movies with, you know, coming of age tales. You could have that here with this strong woman kind of blossoming into who she's going to be through this adversity. I'm going to give this one a 95%. Wow. Okay. okay. That's pretty high. I, I, a movie like Baby Teeth, I think that they, they made it this the title because they they realized they made it a really bad movie, but they needed something to get people to want to watch it. So they're like, oh, this is a shocking title because it, it doesn't sound like a movie where people might want to see. Uh, nothing, uh, that, the synopsis didn't do much for me. What year did you say it was? Uh, 20, let me check. 2020. So 2020 was an awful year. So uh, I think that's an awful movie. I think this is just all the way around. This movie's got nothing for me. I don't want to personalize it. We've made this mistake in the past. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's the worst movie ever. I think it's a mediocre 44% movie. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> Mediocre. Wow. Mediocrely bad. Like, it's not the worst movie, but it's very bad. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is, if this movie came out in 2020 and it made, like, no kind of stir around, like, because, you know, that's at least somewhat within recent human memory. Um, it does sound like a really compelling story. It sounds like some kind of like Scandinavian movie. I don't know. Um, which I've watched a lot of those, uh, especially Scandinavian TV. Um, I'm probably going to go with like 74%. Uh, well, first off, it's actually Australian. Australian? It's Australian. Um and I got a 93% baby. I'm back in the game. I knew it. I could just tell. I could tell Baby Teeth was a winner. Yeah, Baby Driver, which was a huge hit. Baby Teeth is the next coming of that. All mm-hmm. right, tiebreaker. Tiebreaker. Uh, so we haven't had a lot of these, but this one will determine the winner of the world-famous game Movie Critics Must Go to round off the episode. This right. movie is called Sorry to Bother You. Uh, made in 2018. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, in an alternate reality of present-day Oakland, California, California, that's where you live, I've telemarketer Cassius Green <laughs> finds himself in a macabre universe. In a macabre universe, after he discovers a magical key that leads to material glory. As Green's career begins to take off, his friends and coworkers organize a protest against corporate oppression. Cassius soon falls under the spell of Steve Lift, sometimes confused with Steve Jobs, but not Steve Jobs, a cocaine-snorting CEO who offers him a salary beyond his wildest dreams. I shouldn't have said the Steve Jobs thing before the cocaine stuff. I didn't read ahead of time. Let's redact that. Up. Let's <laughs> redact by, uh... that from the record. Uh, Ghost Alice, since you're the guest, let's give you the yeah. honors. Get the first swing. I've seen in this, this movie. One. So, um, 
that guy that that guy you're mentioning is played by Army Hammer too of um, Crazy Pan, who's a little, who perceivably is a little bit wild in in tabloids. But um, I would. It's a really weird movie, and it's one that I highly recommend because of how weird it is. Oh, you've seen this one? We, yeah. Fuck. Well, on the tiebreaker. On the tiebreaker. <laughs> no no. Way. I think that's actually. I don't think that actually plays in my favor because like. If you look, if I look at the cast, like Army Hammer, like Keith Stanfield, uh, I don't actually say how to say his last name. Come to think of it, but he's been in so many good movies as of late. Um, and I think that Boots Riley, I think, is the name of the director. Um, he got a lot of praise for this movie, but I feel like it's still really odd and out there. I'm going to go with uh, 91% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty high. Yeah. What do you want? Uh, this is like a weird scenario because I the only person that's seen it's given a really high percentage and saying it's weird and if it's weird like weird movies are either going to get a really high score or a really low score exactly it's pretty much the standard so but he took 91% I could be a jerk and do 92% which is kind of what we're trying to find in this game that's part of the game I just want to win Give me ninety three percent, baby. Brian's gonna go ninety three. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, this is this is a tough one. Um, I actually wanted to see this movie. I think if if it's what I think it is, jeez, um, you guys have put me in a bind here. I could either fuck you over and go ninety three, or I could fuck you over and go ninety. Ninety. <laughs> 90 would be way safer though. 90, so 90 many more is way safer. 90 is way safer. <laughs> it's way safer. All right, I'm going to go 90. Uh, <laughs> Got to get the competitive right. edge. I hope it's exactly 91. <laughs> if it is, then I'll, I, I'll never play another game again in my life. <laughs> no way! I should have listened to you guys. It's 93%. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I love this. I was going to go 93, then you guys got way more numbers with 90. Dude, I'm just very persuasive. What can I say? You guys <laughs> fucked me over, man. Oh, I love that. Yep. I'll take the uh I'll take the win here today. I think the better man won today's game. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I was close. I was close. You were close. Oh, hey, yeah, you definitely. give a fighting effort. victory. Mhm. It was a great performance. Another first, though. This is the first time that uh, a guest had seen a movie that was on the list, which is uh, I got to be a little more obscure with the choices, I guess. You just never know what movies people watch. (laughs) Got to get more baby teeth type movies or something. (laughs) Yeah, more of those. It was pretty trippy to pick a movie that uh, that I've that I've seen, but it was also a movie that I don't think a lot of other people have seen because it was so odd. So yeah, I mean the synopsis uh, definitely sounded really odd, but yeah. uh, um, well, Ghost Owl, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciated having you and and uh, your insights on everything. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me uh, at I am Ghost Owl, uh, no spaces on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, the works. Um, I stream Monday through Thursday, typically uh, from six thirty p.m. Pacific. Uh, where I'll be streaming Hunt Showdown and one night a week streaming something else. Um, but that's generally where you can find uh, me. Heck yeah. You want to lead us out? Uh, yeah. So if you like today's episode, you can find us on Twitter, 
on Instagram, and more importantly, on all your favorite podcast apps. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at EMGPod. And if you want to find us on Spotify or any other podcast app, type in everything. Must go podcast. But if you're already here, you probably already know that, unless you're watching us on YouTube. And if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for, for watching us. <laughs> you can actually see us. <laughs> and our beautiful faces. You can see our beautiful faces. And our, our, our wonderful guest here, uh, Mr. Mike, a.k.a. I am Ghost Owl, a.k.a. Yeah. Pretentious Japanese <laughs> Culture Enthusiast. Totally kidding, but that's... Uh... <laughs> what an outro. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. We'll be back again soon. Take it easy. Oh,